Imagine if you could go back and talk to your past self on New Year's Eve 2020. I wonder what you would say. Maybe, you know, well, I can't say too much because, you know, I could affect the future and all that, but maybe go stock up on toilet paper in the next month. Or, or maybe you'd say, hey, you know that 401k? Maybe put all of it in Amazon, Netflix, and Zoom. How about that? Or, or maybe you would say to yourself, you know that trip that you've been planning, that you've been saving for, and you're just thinking about and keep delaying because the time's not... Take it now, right now. You know, no one could have predicted the year that we've had. No one could have predicted 2020. And the toll on us has been severe. Listen to some of these. In Fresno, suicides were 70% higher in June this year than last. Depression and anxiety in the US has tripled in 2020. Those seeking divorce has gone up 34%. Opioid-related deaths in the state of Maryland are up 9%. Unemployment has hit record highs. Nearly half of all parents of young children would rate their stress at or above an eight out of 10. 12 million acres of land, 11,000 structures, 37 lives have been taken in wildfires, and of course, nearly one million people have died after contracting COVID-19. You know what I would say to my past self on New Year's Eve 2020? Prepare to feel defeated, right? 2020 feels like the year of defeat. And yet, I'm here today to proclaim to you what, what I believe is a, a message of hope, a message that says in, in God's economy, wins come through woes, triumphs come through trials, and victories come through vexations. A message of hope that says that in spite of what our eyes can see, God has won the decisive battle and the culmination of the war is on the horizon. My name is Ellis White, and I am one of the pastors here, and you're joining us in the middle of a series called Behind the Mask, where we are, metaphorically speaking, of course, talking about taking off the masks that, that we hide behind so that we can get real, get real with God and get real with one another. And today, I want to address the issue of defeat. 2020, I think we can safely say, is a year in which every single one of us has felt defeated. And yet, I believe that what the Bible teaches is that what feels like defeat may actually be the means through which we find the victory. One of the early church leaders, Paul, he knew what it was to be defeated. He had been whipped five times with the 39 lashes, imprisoned at least three times, beaten with rods three times, pelted with snow, shipwrecked three times. And yet Paul still believed that in spite of what from the outside looked like defeat, he was victorious in and through his relationship with Jesus. So this morning, we're going to be looking at one of Paul's letters 
This is what we're working through in these four months. We're in 2 Corinthians. Today we're, we're in chapter 2, and we are in verse 14. It's going to be on the screen. This is what Paul writes. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. On the morning of July 6th, 1966, 52 prisoners at Briarpatch and the Zoo, two POW camps west of Hanoi, were rounded up, given shirts with numbers, blindfolded, handcuffed in pairs, loaded onto trucks, and driven to a sports stadium in downtown Hanoi. Prisoners, uh, uh, guards flanked the prisoners who were marched two by two into a waiting crowd. They were brought down the city's main avenue, which was lined by a mob that one soldier estimated to have contained 100,000 people. And before long, screaming spectators began breaking past the guards to hit, kick, and spit at the men. Bottles were thrown, and more than once, the day's prisoners were beaten to the ground. The brutal gauntlet extended for about two miles, an hour-long ordeal. This procession of POWs in 1966 is not unlike the sort of procession that Paul is writing about in this passage. When he writes that God always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, he's actually referring to something that his first century audience would have been very familiar with, the procession of prisoners by the conquering Romans. In the city of Rome lies the Arch of Titus. A triumphal arch like this is is something through which an emperor would enter with booty and soldiers and attendants and prisoners of war following a conquest. And on uh, on the inside of this particular arch is a relief commemorating the parade that took place along this street in 70 AD following the Roman conquest of Jerusalem. And on that relief, you can see the lampstand and the table of showbread that, that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And as the Romans marched their captives along that street, they, they finished their parade as was typical by murdering the leader of those who had been conquered. In, in this case, a man named Simon, son of Giora. So, when Paul writes, God always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. He's referring to this image that was very familiar to his readers, an image of a a group of captives being uh, processed through the city streets by the winning king. And yet what is confusing for me about this statement is, is what is our role in this procession? You see, Paul writes, God always leads us as captives, and yet God is the one who is leading the procession. He's the triumphant king. And yet I thought we were on God's side. So if God's the victor, surely then we are victors. And yet the passage says we're captives. So what are we? Victors or captives? 
I've always loved the work of the Dutch artist M.C. Escher. One of my favorite pieces is his waterfall. And in this picture, it appears as if he has created a perpetual motion machine where the water is continually flowing around and around a closed system, generating energy using the water wheel. Now, the reality is this is just an optical illusion. And optical illusions like this are examples of something we refer to as paradoxes. Paradoxes are statements that in and of themselves are logically inconsistent. And yet, many statements like that actually have a ring of truth about them. For, for example, the statement, if I know one thing, it's that I know nothing, is a paradox. And yet, it has a ring of truth about it. Or, you've got to spend money to make money. It's logically inconsistent, and yet it still has a ring of truth. It still describes reality in some way. Well, Paul's statement in this passage is a paradox. His claim is that we can be both captives and victors at the same time. In fact, we could probably rephrase his statement to be something like this. We are victorious captives. And you might say, how can that be? How can it be possible to be both a captive and a victor at the same time? Well, the truth is that just like Escher's waterfall, it's all about perspective. When the Romans marched those, those captives down the streets of Rome in 70 AD, the captives from Jerusalem, there was one man watching who felt torn. His name was Flavius Josephus. Josephus was a, a Jewish general who had switched sides in the middle of the war. He'd been commissioned by the Roman emperor to write a history of the Jews, a history that was going to convince the Romans that not all the Jews were bad and to convince the Jews to give up fighting the war. And so Josephus is, is standing on the side of the street watch, watching this parade go by. And, and I've got to wonder, what is he thinking to himself? How is he feeling in and of himself? Because from one perspective, he's a victor. He's a servant of the, of the emperor. He's, he's on the winning side. He chose the right side in the war. And yet, from another perspective, he's a Jew. These are his countrymen and women being marched down the street, being sacrificed at the end of a parade. So what perspective should he view this from? Is he a winner or a loser? Is he a victor or is he a captive? It matters what perspective you view things from. Now, this week I was reading a bedtime story to my five-year-old son, Ezra. And uh, I was reading it from the Action Bible. If you don't know what the Action Bible is, it's, it's the Bible in, in graphic novel form. If, if you have kids or, or grandkids who like to read comic books, this would be a great Christmas gift. You can thank me for that tip later. Um, anyway, Ezra, Ezra, I said to him, hey, hey buddy, what, what story do you want to read in, in, the, in the Bible? And he said, can we read the one where he cuts off the nose? And I went, 
gosh, I've been to seminary. I've read the Bible a lot of times. I, like, I've really studied this thing. But I don't know which story has someone's nose coming off in it. So I thought about it. I said, the one where he cuts off the nose? He said, yeah, yeah, the one where he cuts off the nose. Okay. Do you mean the one where he cuts off the ear? He said, yeah, 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 the one where he cuts off the ear. I said, oh, okay. And he was referring to this story from the night before Jesus died. Jesus was arrested, and one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, grabbed his sword, and he cut off the ear of the arresting guard. Now, Jesus put his hand back over the guard's ear and healed his ear. But here was what really struck me as I was reading this story to Ezra this week. I kind of had a bit of a revelation. Was, was the words that Jesus said to Peter in response to what he had done. He said to Peter, put your sword away. Don't you think that I couldn't call upon an army of angels to come and protect me? And I had this, this revelation as, as I was reading this story. I, I suddenly recognized that at this moment, Jesus became a victorious captive. You see, this was the moment when, when Jesus was first taken into captivity. He was arrested. He was, he was put on trial on trumped-up charges. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was crowned with a crown of thorns. He was given a cross, and then he was marched along the city streets by the Romans in a procession, a triumphal procession, a victory procession that said, this man who claims to be the king of the Jews, we have captured. Jesus was a captive in a triumphal procession. And yet, at this very same moment, this moment of captivity was the moment in which Jesus won the greatest victory in human history. This parade which culminated in his death and his crucifixion was the moment at which Jesus defeated sin and death once and for all. It was the moment when Jesus took upon himself the consequences of, of all of our sin. It's the moment when he, he stared down the great enemy himself, the accuser, Satan. He defeated him. It was the moment when he said, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? It was the decisive moment of victory in human history. Jesus was a victorious captive. I love the way that a great Christian leader and missionary to India, Leslie Newbigham, puts it. He says this, that the cross is indeed victory and not defeat is made manifest in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The resurrection is not the reversal of a defeat, but the manifestation of a victory. Jesus won the victory that day. Jesus was a victorious captive. And in the very same way, in and through Jesus, we too are victorious captives. You know, from the perspective of the world, it, it may look like 2020 has been the year of defeat. But do you know what? 
For the people of God, this is the year of victory. Why? Because as Paul writes, God always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Every year, year after year, we participate in the very same triumphal procession that Jesus did. And no matter what you may be going through this year, no matter what defeat you may be experiencing, no matter what fears may be holding you captive, in and through Jesus Christ, you are victorious. And just like Jesus, you may feel like a captive, but you are not. Because it is through what to the world looks, what to the world looks like captivity that your victory is going to come. It is through woes that we get to wins. It is through trials that we get to triumphs. It is through vexations that we get to victory. 2020 is not the year of defeat for the people of God. It is the year of victory because God always leads us in a triumphal procession, amen? So how do we live this out? How do we experience this reality of victory in the midst of what feels like defeat? Well, the key is worship. Everyone say that, the key is worship. The key is worship. Worship is the key to shifting our perspective from defeat to victory. And we see it right at the beginning of of the verse that we've been looking at. Paul writes, but thanks be to God. He begins by calling us, reminding himself, and, and through that calling us to lift our eyes up and give thanks and praise to God. Lift our eyes up from from what we see in front of us. Shift our perspective from the defeat that the world sees and choose to focus instead upon God, giving thanks and praise to him. Worship is the key. Say, worship is the key. It's the key to shifting our perspective from defeat to victory. When the 52 American prisoners of war were being marched through the streets of Hanoi in 1966, there were two of them who did something totally radical. In the final 100 yards back to the stadium, after walking through that brutal gauntlet, Ralph Gaither and another prisoner began to recite the words of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table 
before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These men understood that if they were to see the victory of God in the midst of defeat, that they had to shift their perspective, that they had to lift their eyes up from what they saw around them, turn their gaze towards God, and begin to worship, begin to praise him for who he is and what he has done. Worship is the key to shifting our perspective. Worship. And worship isn't just something that we do on a, on a Sunday morning. These men knew that. They knew they could worship any time, any place. And guess what? So can you. Alexa, play worship music. You can grab your Bible. You can recite the Psalms like these men did. You Put your headphones in, crank up Spotify. Worship is our weapon of warfare. You know, this week I, I had this, this moment where it all kind of caved in for me. I, I, I don't know if you ever have these conversations where you walk out of it and you feel like totally deflated, right? And, and, and I had one of these this week and and I, I was just stewing on it. I stewed on it all day, all into the evening. In hindsight, what I realized was it wasn't the particular conversation. It was like everything came to a point here in this one interaction. It was that tipping point. All of the defeat from the whole year came to bear on this one moment. And, and, and I was laying in bed that night, and my brain was just going round and round and round and round. And I, I never have trouble getting to sleep. But that night, I, I gave up at 1 a.m. I just got back up. I said, that's not going to happen. Eventually, I, I got back to sleep, went back to bed, got to sleep. I woke up the next morning, and I felt exactly the same, just a lot more tired, right? <laughs> So I did what I, I always do in the mornings. I went for a walk around my, my neighborhood. Well, sometimes I run, but not after only a few hours of sleep. And, and, and I, knew, I knew something had to change. I, I knew that I couldn't keep going. I, I needed to shift my perspective. I knew, I actually, I knew I was preaching this message this weekend, and I knew that if I was going to preach it, I'd better practice it. And so I started to say to myself, Ellis, believe what the Bible says about God. And so I started to quote scriptures to myself that I knew. I started to say, say things, almost preaching to myself. The battle belongs to the Lord. Stand firm, therefore. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. If God is for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And, I, and then as I was, as I was quoting this, these scriptures to me, I actually began to start singing a song. Well, like I didn't sing out loud because I don't want to look weird in front of my neighbors. But I sang it in my head. And, and it was one of those songs, like the song we sang earlier, that I know many of you in the room were like, how many times are we going to sing those lyrics? 
It was one of those songs because I needed to sing those lyrics again and again and again because the first time I sang them, it didn't sink in. The reality didn't hit me, so I sang them again and again and again and again. And as I began to sing, as I began to proclaim the truths about God from his scripture, to declare who he is, as I began to worship, my mindset shifted from defeat to victory. The victory that Christ had won for me. Worship is the key. Say, worship is the key. Worship is the key to shifting our perspective from defeat to victory. And we're going to practice it right now. No time like the present. We're going to choose to worship through singing, declaring truths about God, reframing our perspective. So wherever you are, whether you're at home or you're in the room, would you stand with me? And whatever you might be facing today, wherever you might be, whatever you might be feeling about the, the struggles that are going on, whatever fears might be holding you captive, I, I want to invite you to, to lift up your eyes in this time. I want to invite you to, to turn your gaze to our God in heaven, our, our victorious God, the risen Jesus, who's now seated at the right hand of God in victory. And I want you to praise his name. The world might see defeat, but I see a victory. The world might see woes, but I see a win. The world might see trials, but I see a triumph. Let's praise God's name together. Amen.